Diane Kazarian grew up in an American-Armenian family, not actually speaking English until the age of seven. When I was growing up, I was very different from all the other kids, as you can imagine. Even though I may not look different today, I was very different. And so I learned the importance of building relationships with people and how uh, every child wants to be liked. And I wanted to be accepted and I wanted to be liked. And so I learned at a young age that building relationships and working hard and trying hard was is important and was important. And I wanted to make people proud. After a lot of hard work through university, Diane landed a job at KPMG's Rhode Island offices in Providence before eventually, in 1990, moving to Toronto to join Price Waterhouse Coopers as a bank auditor. And then throughout my time at PwC, since 1990, I would say every five years or so, I always did a little something different. I always did a new role, and I always asked for new things to do. And part of that's because... I think I get a little bit bored and I always need to be challenged and I love to do interesting things. And in an amazing firm like ours at PwC, as you know, there's always lots of opportunity. I started in financial services and really did that for many, many years and became the financial services leader about seven years ago. And then when this opportunity came about for me to be the managing partner and the first female managing partner of this major of a major region at PwC as i say in like a thousand years i really went for it hard on this episode of run it like a girl diane tells us that women in a corporate environment need to have the confidence to step forward when new roles or projects arise even if they're not 100% ready for it it's an opportunity she also discusses the dedication to diversity and inclusion at her firm. When um, Nicola Marcou was elected as our CEO, um, effective July 1, he made diversity and inclusion a priority at his leadership table, and he appointed Mona Giammi in this role. So when we have our leadership meetings, and we just had one a couple of days ago in Halifax, and we talk about our business and we talk about growth and we talk about our people because our people are asset, as you know. We do it with two very important lenses. One is through the lens of diversity and inclusion. And the other is our lens that our culture and values have to permeate everything that we do. Diane talks about the importance of women in leadership programs in the corporate environment and why mentorship and sponsorship are so extremely valuable. Diane Kazarian on this episode of Run It Like a Girl. So today I'm especially excited because I'm in downtown Toronto at PwC Canada, which is where I work, and I'm sitting with Diane Kazarian, who is our GTA managing partner. Diane, thank you for agreeing to be on my podcast. Great to be here uh, with you today, Bonnie. I'm really excited about our conversation today. I am too, because it just seems like, uh, you know, even getting a glimpse in what your day must be like and the different kind of things that you do, it's just, uh, it's all very exciting, and I think that our audience is going to find some real inspiration from chatting with you. Great. So let's just start. Um, you've been with PwC for quite a while. I'd love to hear kind of a little bit about your career journey, where you started, and how you came up through the firm to be in the leadership position you are today. Right. So um, my journey is a pretty long one and an interesting one. It took lots of twists and turns, and no journey to me is sort of a straight line to success. 
And to me, success is never something that you just achieve and you're done. Uh, for me, it's always about doing new things and learning new things, having new roles and so on. So I grew up in the U.S., so I'm both an American citizen and a Canadian citizen. I grew up in an Armenian family. And um, my mom and dad um, spoke in Armenian with me, and I'm an Armenian woman, and I really couldn't speak English until I was around seven years old. And so um, my mom came from uh, Lebanon to study music at Boston Conservatory. My dad was first generation born Armenian of uh, parents from Turkey. And... Um, when I was growing up, I was very different from all the other kids, as you can imagine. Even though I may not look different today, I was very different. And so I learned the importance of building relationships with people and how uh, every child wants to be liked and I wanted to be accepted and I wanted to be liked. And so I learned at a young age that building relationships and working hard and trying hard was, is important and was important and I wanted to make people proud and I wanted to be successful in, in the things that I did. So I worked really hard, went to university there, got my first job at KPMG, really did a lot of my training there in Rhode Island, and then came to Canada in 1990, joined PW as an auditor, as a bank auditor. And I spent a lot of time in auditing and banking. I became a partner in 1995. I had a ton of support here at PwC from, from our partners, from our managers, from our directors over those years, and from our clients. And then throughout my time at PwC, since 1990, I would say every five years or so, I always did a little something different. I always did a new role, and I always asked for new things to do. And part of that's because I think I get a little bit bored, and I always need to be challenged, and I love to do interesting things. And in an amazing firm like ours at PwC, as you know, there's always lots of opportunity. Um, it's big. Uh, we have lots of different businesses, lots of different clients. And so I started in financial services and really did that for many, many years and became the financial services leader about seven years ago. And then when this opportunity came about for me, to be the managing partner, the first female managing partner of this major of a major region at PwC, as I say, in like a thousand years, I really went for it hard, and I um, I tried my best, you know, to make my work speak for itself, but also to use my relationships to hopefully convince people that I was the best person to take on this role. So it's been a really interesting uh, path for me. In that path, there were lots of bad things that happened too. It wasn't all about success. There was a period of time we lost all the bank audits and I was in the middle of that whole storm. That was like crushing for me, but I learned from it and I learned that, you know, you need to take adversity and you need to turn it into a positive because other doors open. And my firm and my CEO at the time and, and our leaders really looked at it that way. So I've been lucky to have lots of support, but I've also asked for that support and um, lots of bumps along the way, but I've learned from those bumps. So it's been a great career that's hopefully not over. Absolutely. I can't wait to see what's next. And, you know, I'd like to pick up on a couple things I heard you say there. And one is that, yes, absolutely, you worked hard and you dug in. But you also asked for opportunity and found opportunities. And I think a lot of times you hear with women is they think that if they just put their head down and do the best they can, that it'll eventually be recognized. And I'd love your thoughts on, on, on helping, like what you, what you would say to other women who, you know, need to find those opportunities or, or how did you go about that? It sounds to me like relationships is, the, is key for you. 
Yes, I mean, relationships is, is key for me. And having some confidence in yourself to put your hand up when you know that there's roles or new um, projects and things that are happening in your organizations. Women, you're right, do tend to think that their work will only speak for itself. And also the other thing that women often do is that they feel they need to be like 95% ready for a role to take it on. Whereas men, and I don't want to generalize, but, you know, not to be disparaging, but on the most part, men will put their hand up because of their ambition. And if they are 60% ready for a role, it's a proven fact. And so this particular point is one that I urge women to think about. We discuss it in our Women in Leadership program with our women, and it's extremely important. And um, to do so, you need to have some confidence in yourself and your abilities, and you need to think about the fact of, you know, these are the things that I'm really good at. These are the things I know how to do. So I have some great competencies, but maybe I'm not yet there in terms of doing this brand new role, but I've got the skills to be able to tackle it. And you've got to look at it in that way. It's one of the number one things that women must do more of. Absolutely. And put their hand up and ask for jobs, ask for new roles, ask for projects. It's super important. Um, so I, th I think that's a good segue to what I'd like to talk about. So when you were coming up through your career and the people that you looked up to or the people that were in the leadership positions, um, there wasn't as many women in leadership positions as there are now. Um, I was wondering what kind of impact that might have had on your career or how you navigated that to find your support system and who you kind of looked up to um, as you were advancing. Yeah, it's a great question. And um, there were not a lot of senior women uh, before me. There were some. So they had actually paved the path. There were some female partners for sure. One of them was my coach and she's passed since Brenda Vince and she had a huge impact on me. And um, so I had some very good role models, but the clients that and the projects I was working on were mostly with some very senior males and they were great supporters of mine. Many of those partners have now since retired. So they were great supporters. So I had both men and women in my life to be able to support me. I would say more men, but what we're trying to do today is we're trying to take all these lessons learned and the experiences that we've had. And remember that for women, this is one of the things I talk about in our women in leadership conversations is that we have 50, 60, 70 years of data points, whereas men have like a thousand years. And so we're trying to take all of these learnings, all of these tips you know, all of these sort of strategies and really putting them into place. So we still absolutely need men at the table to be helping women because men are still, for the most part, in those positions of power. So in organizations, including in PwC, we have many, many more female leaders now, many more female partners. But when we are working with our women at PwC, we have to have men at that conversation. We absolutely do. I just did some speaking about this during our um, our uh, Women's International Week with my CEO, Nicola Marcoux, and he is an absolute champion for women. He is an absolute champion for diversity. He is at the table talking about these issues and talking about these strategies that work, and we need more men like him at the table across all of our businesses and industries in Canada and in the marketplace. Absolutely. So that's kind of in, uh, in you know, PwC globally, I know, is a partner with He for She, which I think is just about that. 
saying that you can't get this way without both everybody at the table. 50% of the table is not going to do it, or 50% of the gender population. We need everyone to have um, to be part of that and champion that. Um, so you've talked about it a little bit, the PwC Women in Leadership Program. I have to say, it was actually a catalyst for why I wanted to do this podcast. I have, I could rave forever about that program, but I'd love to know from your perspective. So I, and I've got a good sense, but why is that program and programs like that so important in 2019? They're still important in 2019, maybe someday. Um, They won't need to be, but the Women in Leadership Program, I like to look at it more than a program um, because it is a, um, it's a whole number of in-person sessions with our high-performing women who do work together and hear speakers out in the marketplace who have experiences, but then they connect and have their own network. And in this network, over this period of time, it's around six, seven months period of time, that they can actually um, use each other, help each other, and they have mentors and so on. And the things that are taught in that program, what's really important is it brings to life and it brings to the surface really important strategies. Um, One of them we just talked about. It's about putting your hand up for opportunities and don't wait until you think that you're absolutely qualified. You're going to be way too late for the table. The really, really other important one is the difference between who your business coach is and who a mentor or a sponsor is. So sponsorship is something that we've been talking about a lot. And the Women in Leadership Program, one of the most important things is the whole issue of sponsorship. And what sponsorship is, is that you need to have someone in your corner or a couple of people in your corner who are actually advocating for you when you perhaps don't even know it in meetings, when decisions are being made. This does not necessarily need to be your business coach. Your business coach is usually coaching you on your performance in particular tasks or projects or whatever it might be. But your sponsor is the one who's putting their political capital on the table for you because they believe in you. And that in and of itself is one of the most important reasons why we have this conversation at the Women in Leadership um, program with our women. People come out of that program with incredible amount of self-awareness, more confidence, great tools and strategies, and a new network. And although... People like me may have found our way when this didn't exist before because maybe some of it for me was intuition. I had sponsors. I never knew they were called them, but I knew that I had these people in my court. But I didn't really seek them out. It just sort of happened. Not everyone is going to be in that position. So we have a much better chance of advancing women in leadership, women in diversity, and trying to get gender parity by having programs like Women in Leadership at PwC. So it's something that I'm very committed to. I'm the executive sponsor of it. Um, We have about 270 graduates now, and we can track them to see how they've done. And look at you and people like you and some of the new things that you have been embarking upon. 
and the confidence that it builds. And so I think it's really important. It's probably one of the most important pieces of work that we can do at PwC. Absolutely. And, you know, that kind of lets me think about something else because, you know, um, and maybe this is coming to self-awareness or if it's unconscious bias maybe, but, you know, a lot of times what you see is, is the quieter person or the person is actually really stellar but just doesn't have that voice, right? They tend to get overlooked or tend to... Um, you know, maybe maybe it's easier for a leader to pick the same person every time because they know they're going to get what they need done. Um, how do you think we can encourage leaders to really kind of think about maybe some of those unconscious biases about who they're picking for the projects or who they're looking at to ensure that, you know, all different kinds of personalities and gender and cultural differences are reflected? It's a great question and something that is top of mind for us at PwC at the leadership table. When um, Nicola Marcoux was elected as our CEO, um, effective July 1, he made diversity and inclusion a priority at his leadership table, and he appointed Mona Giammi in this role. So when we have our leadership meetings, and we just had one a couple of days ago in Halifax, and we talk about our business, and we talk about growth, and we talk about our people, because our people are asset, as you know. We do it with two very important lenses. One is through the lens of diversity and inclusion. And the other is our lens that our culture and values have to permeate everything that we do. And so I'm really proud of that. And often we have conversations, just like the question that you asked, about ensuring that we are not, as leaders, encouraging behaviors or even doing it ourselves and putting people in roles like for our own successors or for major projects or for major proposals or to be like the lead on an engagement, um, client engagement, etc. And so we're often asking ourselves those questions. We have some real life examples um, where people have stopped themselves that perhaps that was sort of the natural inclination because naturally um, one does perhaps go to you know what you're more accustomed to you have to stop yourself. You have to have a real conscious awareness around that. And we've all gone through this unconscious bias training. At our leadership meeting the other day, Mona played a really powerful video for us. And it was exactly on this issue. And every time we meet, we have what's called a diversity and inclusion segment. And she is conversing with us on this. And it's great. It's great. So... Um, the issue is not perfectly resolved yet, but it is a work in process, and I'm really comfortable that it's at the top of the agenda at PwC. So I guess for other organizations, just kind of like take a seat, take a pause before you pick the person to make sure that you're actually thinking about, um, are you picking them because it's easy and you know you've worked with them before and you know they're going to get it done for you and you don't have to worry about it, or just kind of like take that moment to really have that awareness. So, and we've talked about this a bit, so, you know, but I'd love to know if you have anything else. So there's mentorship, sponsorship, and there's mentorship. What is mentorship? You kind of explained what sponsorship is, but how does one go about finding a mentor? Because, you know, there's all these programs to help you with that, but a lot of times what I find is it's more the organic um, growth of mentorship. But what does mentorship mean to you, and, and how important is it to a person's career? So the mentor and the sponsor are different. As I said, the sponsor is this kind of person on the side who's like, advocating for you. It could be a mentor. It could be your mentor as well. Um, not necessarily. But, you know, mentors are really important. And mentors sometimes just organically emerge. 
where you know you have a working relationship with someone and I actually had this come about yesterday with someone that I work with and uh, he said to me he said you know I really love the way um, that you uh, behave in meetings and you're inspiring and so on and he said I really look up to you and I'm not saying this to to be to be bragging or anything like that I was actually surprised because I didn't know that I had that impact on him and so then we began to talk about some of his own career aspirations and um, I said to him I said you know I'm not your coach I'm not your business coach probably not a sponsor um, yet but I said I can help you with uh, tackling how to write an email for example, to be requesting a meeting with someone very senior in the firm because you want to have a conversation around you know, your career and what you can bring to the table. So I'm beginning to build a mentorship relationship with this person because I care, um, because he and I have connected, and I believe in him. And so it's important to have mentors in your career you can have, and you usually have, more than one mentors. These are people that you look up to, Someone's, someone you look up to whose behaviors you want to kind of emulate a bit, um, things that you learn from them that you want to pass on to the people that you have impact on. And so having a mentor or mentors is really important, but what's more important is being a mentor to people, it's to be a mentor. So giving that back, taking the experiences and the, you know, the challenges and the successes that you've had and helping someone else navigate that through their own career. Absolutely. And for me, um, I mentor a lot of people. I mentor men. I mentor women. They're not all necessarily in the business that I'm in. They could be in all different areas in the firm. And I love that because... Our firm is great because of all the different people that we have, both in our practice staff and in all the parts of our marketing and communications and sales and so on. And so, um, yeah, it's really important to me and it's something I take very seriously. And you know, we're actually at our final question now. And this question we keep consistent across all of our guests because we find we see themes in the answers, but everyone has a unique perspective. If, uh, if you were to go across the street to have lunch and the person sitting across the table from you was actually you at 20 years old, what would that conversation look like and what kind of advice would you be giving? I've been asked this question before and I, it's a really hard question um, because I have a 26-year-old and I have a 13-year-old, a 26-year-old daughter, Audrey, 13-year-old Jack, and they're both very different children. And... Um, when I ever asked this question, I wondered to myself, am I actually giving her this advice? And she's a woman and, and she's 26. So, but perhaps as a mother, it could be a little bit different versus to yourself. So I think my answer is, is I'm a big, I'm a big warrior. Like I tend to worry about things um, from the standpoint of just making sure that, you know, things are well organized and planned and, you know, careers can be planned to the best of extent, but sometimes things change and things happen, right? Which I explained to you sort of in the beginning of our talk. And um, I would say to myself then is have some more confidence in yourself. Don't worry so much. Have a little bit more fun and chill out a little bit. 
I was a very intense student in university because at that time, like the only thing that really counted was having super, super grades to get an interview with the big four. And that was my goal. That was really my goal. I never knew afterwards what would happen from, from that. And it wasn't a lot about extracurriculars and things like that. So I kind of had a very intense time in, uh, in university. I didn't have a lot of fun. Um, I worried a lot about my grades. I worried always about exams. And I worried about sort of the future, you know, and what would come. So I think that if I had maybe some other people that I could have talked to at the time, and maybe even some of the experiences I've already had, I would say, enjoy your life, embrace change, don't be scared of change, and um, don't be afraid of uncertainty. Uncertainty is actually a little bit of a good thing. But having been through all these years, I can now say that, and that's what I would say to myself. Diane, I want to thank you for coming in and spending this time with me today. I just, I know how busy your schedule is and to see your passion and how you put everything behind what you do in terms of women in leadership and diversity and inclusion and your work itself. So thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun and I look forward to continuing these discussions with you. So thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you. Run It Like a Girl is hosted by Bonnie Moak. Brian Long is the producer. Web design and technical assistance provided by Dan Moak. And music courtesy of the talented Brooklyn Gillichuk.